Welcome back, fight fans, to the neutral corner. This is TNC 177 for the week of Saturday, June 29th. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. So, we got a lot to talk about here, okay? And I'm going to jump right into it. Before I do, real quick, I want to ask you guys watching live on YouTube, smash that like button. Give it a cancel left hook to the body. Give it a rigadial overhand left. Give it a charlo straight right, right? Or else I'm going to stop this show early like Tom Taylor. Oh, so smash that like button, okay? And I kid Tom Taylor. He's actually a super nice guy and a good ref, but he pulled the trigger a little bit too quick last week. Uh, I'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. Uh, also, of course, guys, we've got Super Chat on here. Patreon page, t-shirt still available. A couple of you guys picked them up last week. I uh, appreciate that, guys. All of that goes back into the channel here. And we still have some issues with some audio and things like that that we're working out. It is, uh, it is a work in progress, okay? But we're getting there, I promise you guys. Let's jump right into news and notes. I want to hit on one quick thing, and then we're going to talk Vada testing and Pacquiao Thurman. Okay, WBO names Oleksandr Usyk, former undisputed cruiserweight champion of the world. They're mandatory... And right now, that would be for uh, Andy Ruiz. He holds their title. But of course, he has, he's contractually obligated to fight Anthony Joshua next. And we're probably going to see that this fall. The winner of that fight, Alexander Usyk, would be in line for them. I also looked at the WBA's ratings. And they have Usyk. I can't remember off the top of my head. You guys correct me if I'm wrong here. But I believe he's one or two already in the WBA ratings. The WBO has a rule that uh, they have, you know, of course, their bylaws are huge like any other sanctioned organization, but they have a rule that stipulates, basically, I'm paraphrasing here, guys, but if you have a really dominant super champion in one weight class and they move up to a new weight class, if that champion actually requests for it, they could get bumped up into a mandatory status. Some people like that rule. Some people don't like that rule. For me, I can see both sides of it. I can see why some people would say, what the hell? Usyk hasn't thrown a punch yet at heavyweight. How the hell is he the mandatory? Other people would say, he cleaned out the damn cruiserweight division. He's the best, most proven cruiserweight of all time. You can make the argument that he rates over Evander Holyfield now as the best cruiserweight ever. Certainly accomplished more than Holyfield did. So go ahead and bump him up to mandatory at the WBO. Who gives a shit? Of course, once again, Dillian White. Is kind of ass out on this, right? And I feel bad for Dillian White. You guys who watch the show, you know I've been talking about it for a long time. I think the WBC has really done him dirty because he's been the mandatory over there for ages. And you saw the moves that have been made. Uh, Mauricio Suleiman has justified it a bunch of different ways. But now he was supposed to be in line for the WBO. It's going to be Usyk. I kind of agree with this move. Um, You know, again, I could see both sides of the argument, but I don't know about you guys. The winner between Ruiz and AJ, the second fight, I'd love to see them fight Usyk next. Who the hell wouldn't like to see that fight? I know I sure sure as hell would, but let's talk about this other thing that's been kind of, I've seen videos already on YouTube within an hour of the news breaking. And, And guys, just, you know, between me and you, A lot of us knew about this already. I don't know. But for some reason, when it hit officially on boxing news sites, everybody freaked out. So there will be no VADA testing for the Pacquiao-Thurman fight 
July 20th in Las Vegas. And a lot of people, of course, immediately took that as Pacquiao not wanting to do testing. And I saw a bunch of different videos on YouTube, again, almost within the hour of that breaking, essentially blaming Pacquiao for this. Now, I have talked to the folks at VADA. I have a pretty good relationship with those folks. Here's the thing, guys. A lot of this stuff is kind of off the record. So I can't really talk about it here with you. And I'm not saying that to try to sound elitist or um, like I'm cool or in the know. There's just certain things I can't say on record as it relates to this situation, okay? Here's what I'm going to tell you guys. Um, The promotion involved is PBC, right? So that's basically your promoter, PBC. And then there's the Pacquiao side and the people he works with, trains with, the people that advise him, manage him, et cetera, et cetera. And then Keith Thurman, same thing. Those are the entities involved. It really has nothing to do with the Nevada Commission. They're separate from the whole VADA thing. It has nothing to do with the sanctioning organizations. They're separate from the VADA thing. I'm not talking about WBC's clean boxing program. That's a separate entity. When it comes to fighters wanting to do VADA testing, like we just saw with Anthony Joshua and Andy Ruiz, that fight comes to mind because I just talked about it, right? We saw extensive VADA drug testing for that. And of course, it was Joshua and Jarrell Big Baby Miller at first. They did a deal directly with VADA. So it's between the promoters, the fighters, their teams, and VADA. It's a separate entity from the commission, sanctioning organizations, all of that. They have really nothing to do with it. They're basically partners in the whole thing. So this isn't um, necessarily, we don't know if Pacquiao requested Novada testing. We don't know if Thurman requested Novada testing. We don't know if PBC executives demanded Novada testing. Memo Heredia, who Pacquiao has been working with recently, we don't know if he requested to have no drug testing. You guys don't know who requested it. You can only speculate. But the fact is, it could be any of those folks or a combination of more than one of them, right? The narrative, though, that I'm seeing immediately all over social media is, oh, Pacquiao's back on the juice, as if he was ever on the juice. Now, let me say this before I get in and start diving in here a little bit. It's a bad look. It's a bad look for Pacquiao and Thurman. But because Pacquiao is the A-side on this fight, he's still the star fighter, the star name. He's the A-side. More of the bad look falls on to Pacquiao. And I'm consistent on this. The A-side gets a little bit more of the glory when the promotion goes well. They get a little more of the heat when the promotion goes poorly. This is a bad look on both fighters and both sides and on PBC, but it's a bigger bad look on Pacquiao because he's the A-side. So I do understand why he's getting more criticism. What I don't understand and what I don't approve of is that he seems to be the only one receiving criticism, right? So if, if Keith Thurman, let's just say, and I'm speaking hypothetically here, I don't want you guys to read a damn thing into this. Like I said, the details that I know, I'm not giving on record, okay? But let's just pretend, for the sake of argument, Manny Pacquiao, him being the A-side, says, I don't want to do VADA testing. Keith Thurman is the B-side absolutely has the right to say, you know what, dude, I want VADA testing. No needle, no fight. That's the same thing we just saw with Julian J. Rock Williams and Jarrett Hurd. Who was the A-side in that situation? It was Hurd. He had the hardware. He had the titles. 
But Jarrett, J-Rock Williams, I'm sorry, Julian J-Rock Williams and his uh, trainer, Stephen Bredman Edwards, with what they went through with Charlo before, and I'm not going to get into all that and rehash all that, they said, you're never going to make a fool out of us again. They demanded VADA testing for Herd. And all of a sudden, it happened. And now that uh, Williams has the titles, he's in the commanding position. He says, I ain't letting anybody get a shot at these titles without VADA testing, right? He made that happen. So let's say Thurman says, I want VADA testing. And Pacquiao says, no. Well, then Thurman could go public and say, hey, everyone, I demanded VADA testing. He said no. And that makes Pacquiao look really, really bad. If it's in the contract that he can't speak about it, he could say, well, if he doesn't want to do VADA testing, I want to be paid more. I want a bigger portion of the, of the purse. And on and on it goes, guys. There's a million different examples of this I can give, but you see where I'm going. Now, on the flip side, let's say Pacquiao wanted drug testing and Thurman said no. Same thing. He could say, you know what, dude? I'm the biggest name out there that's, that's willing to fight you right now because <laughs> Spence, you, you don't want to fight Spence. I'm the guy you can make the most money with. He makes more money with Pacquiao than Spence right now. You don't want to do drug testing, fights off. Or we still got to do the fight because let's face it, for Manny, Keith Thurman's the biggest name out there for him that won't obliterate him like Spence would. So he needs Thurman too. Okay, I get a bigger share of the purse. So there are things you could do to negotiate this stuff, okay? When the news of this dropped, did either side bitch? No. Has either side spoken about it? Have they said anything Yay, nay, good, bad, positive, negative. Neither of them have talked yet. So until we hear one of them come out and say, man, this is bullshit, we should have VADA testing, basically what that means, guys, is both guys are cool with this. Both are cool with this. All right, now I've talked about uh, pushing the issue. Vladimir Klitschko, when he wanted the Tyson Fury rematch, he pushed the issue. Deontay Wilder, when he fought Alexander Povetkin, Push the issue. I mentioned Joshua with Miller, J-Rock with Hurd. We've seen this all the time. We've, or not all the time, a bunch of times, okay? So I'm just, what pisses me off and what made me want to talk about it a little bit right up top was the hypocrisy of it. Pacquiao, quote, and I'm using air quotes here, so Pacquiao fans, don't take me literally and jump down my throat and try to get my channel banned because you've done that before. Uh, just for saying Mayweather beat him, which he did. <laughs> but Pacquiao's back on the juice, quote unquote. Okay, there has never been a case where Pacquiao, there's been any circumstantial evidence or hard physical evidence link, linking Pacquiao to any performance enhancing drugs. It's never happened. It's never taken place. This whole narrative started from Floyd Mayweather and the whole irony of it all is Pacquiao had been doing VADA testing for several years before him and Floyd fought. Pacquiao wanted VADA testing for the Floyd fight. It was Floyd who flat out refused to do VADA testing, demanded USADA. And when IV gate happened, you saw why he demanded USADA, why he only fought in Nevada. There was a concerning relationship with all those parties there. And him, Floyd, starting and pushing that narrative that Manny was on something, it got so bad that Manny sued him for defamation and they settled out of court. So Floyd had paid Manny before they even fought. Okay? So now, I say all that and I follow with this. We don't have any proof that Manny never cheated. He very well may have cheated at some point. I don't know. I'm not saying he did or did not. 
What I am saying is as it relates to this situation with him and Keith Thurman, Pacquiao has done Vada here and there inconsistently, but he has done Vada both before the Mayweather fight and after, I believe for his last fight. Jack Alter is saying, Mike just said Pac did steroids. No, I didn't, Jack. Don't put those words out there. I know you're trolling and joking, but there are people out there who will take you seriously, bro. I did not say that. Absolutely did not say that. Um, what I said is Pacquiao has used, has used, Jesus, now you got me confused, Jack. He's used, he's worked with Vada before and has inconsistently used them for different fights. Not for this fight. Keith Thurman has never tested with Vada. And I could say this on the record. There is one instance that he was tested through the WBC's clean boxing program. Once. One time. Keith, one time Thurman. How long did he have the BC title? Drug tested once under the WBC's clean boxing program. Okay? That's it. He's never done more drug testing than that. So... For everyone to jump down Pacquiao's throat, I'm not saying Thurman did anything wrong. Or Guys, I'm not saying that. I'm just giving you the facts, okay? For everyone to jump down Manny's throat, like this is all on him, and to leave Keith out of it, I think that's unfair. This is 50-50 on both guys right now. A bad look for both of them, but I will admit, and I do think it's fair to say, it falls a little more on Pacquiao because he is the A-side. He will take a little more heat for something like this because he is the commercial A-side here. One last thing on this, okay? There's a lot of you guys out there on Twitter, on YouTube, who give me shit in the comment section or give me shit on Twitter, everything else, and say, who cares if these guys are cheating? Who cares if they're doing steroids? Let them do whatever the hell they want, right? Some of the same dudes saying that, when this news dropped today, we're like, oh my God, Pacquiao's not doing Vada testing. Holy shit. The world just shook underneath them, right? So... I'm seeing a lot of inconsistency and hypocrisy on this. Either you're for clean sport or you're not. You guys know where I stand on this. I think that, and I've talked about drug testing where I think it should be. I think there's certain things they could do. Uh, the sanctioned organizations, I think the Association of Boxing Commissions needs to flex their muscle a little bit and get involved and push the sanctioning organizations to do something. I think that if you pulled 1% of the purses of any fight that made seven figures or more every year, and you took that money, reallocated it to, te- to testing for all top 10 rated fighters in all four sanctioning organizations and or all fighters who hold minor interim in recess, diamond, silver, gold-plated titles, whatever the hell it is, and where they were being tested consistently throughout the year, at least several times a quarter, and you had quarterly weight checks, and no fighter could weigh more than, let's say, 15% of the fight weight which they are ranked and or hold a title, I think that would go a long way to cleaning this shit up. But until we get there, the system we have now, Avada, is the best thing we've got going, and the fighters are volunteering to do it. Some of them are. And I think that's why you guys should give extra credit and extra props. And that also includes putting your wallet where your mouth is for fighters who do demand VADA drug testing. Guys like Julian J. Rock Williams. He deserves that extra applause and he deserves your support. Even financially going to his fight when you're deciding which fight do I go to. The dude who's proving himself to be clean and paying out of his own damn pocket to do it. 
deserves your extra support. That is my opinion on this. You guys may agree or disagree, but uh, that's how you change the culture here. Kevin Frey just brought up the comment here. I'm seeing in the comment section, change the culture. I agree with this. He says, we have to demand it as fans. I agree with this. Mario G asking me, is Vada the best? Yes, it is the best. It is not just the best in boxing. It is the best in all of martial arts. USADA is a joke. Over in the UK, UCAD is a joke. The state athletic commissions simply either do not have the budget to do the type of testing they need to do, or they don't want to spend the extra money to do the types of testing they need to do. Nevada can afford it. But Nevada does a standard urine test, which elementary level math can beat. If you understand half-life cycles and everything, you don't even have to be good at that shit. You just got to pound a gallon or two of water the day of the tests. And you will dilute your urine so much that a urine test is going to get just traces and it will probably fall under a threshold if you're microdosing or something like that. We've seen guys in Russia do that for years. We've seen guys in Mexico do versions of that. So once Nevada, let's say, for instance, introduces, right now it's just urine testing. That's their standard random drug testing, which they are doing for Pacquiao Thurman, mind you. But it's just urine tests. Once they introduce blood tests, which is the gold standard, and hair follicle sample testing, even if you don't, if you don't test it, just cut off hair samples from each fighter throughout camp, save it somewhere in case they test hot on a blood test or a urine test, you could take that hair follicle uh, sample later. You could test it. And it, all it does, guys, is it's urine, blood, and hair. It's basically three different ways to look at something. So if I can, um, I'm trying to think of an analogy uh, with, with uh, light. There's infrared light, and then there's, I don't know, what are the other types of light? I don't know. The light you and I see as human beings, there's infrared light, right? There's different types of light. There's different types of sound waves. Some of it we can hear, some of it we've, we can't. But the best analogy I can give is that blood, urine, hair gives you three different sound waves or, or um, um, light rays, you know, different ways to see something that gives you further information so you could decipher what's going on there when somebody says, oh, I ate tainted beef. Oh, really? Okay. Well, the hair follicle sample says something other than that. That might work for the blood sample. And I'm not going to get into how all these samples work, guys. I could talk for hours about that. But the hair follicle sample might tell us something different than the story you're giving us. So that's what I'm saying. Once these athletic commissions get up to that standard, for their standard drug testing, then we'll be good. Until they get there, VADA is the way to go, all right? Whew, that was a mouthful. Guys, I'll get to some of your questions in a little bit here. Um, I see some of you guys talking about um, hair follicle sample testing. I see some of you guys talking about USIC, the WBO, and everything like that. Uh, if you have more questions about that, let me know. Hopefully, some of you guys might have gone on late, but hopefully... I answered some of those questions and you can go back and just watch the beginning of the show. By the way, for those of you who just jumped on, I told everybody at the start of the show that um, we are currently in the midst of a pretty bad storm out here. So um, if the power drops, hey, uh, it's not me hanging up on you guys. It's, it's literally the lightning. I live in the South now in Atlanta where the geniuses here decided to put power lines above ground. So when it rains and a tree gets knocked down from a 
lightning strike or something or a drunk asshole swerving off the road and plowing into a tree. It knocks down a power line. Guess what happens? Guys like me, their house goes dark. So yeah, just warning you guys, that could happen here. All right, let's get into the review. So last weekend, last week, we saw a bunch of different cards. We saw stuff on, I think, a Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday. But I'm just going to skip to the bigger events here because we have a lot to talk about, okay? Uh, Friday, June 21st in Indio, California, Golden Boy Promotions on the Zone. And uh, we saw a rematch between Conceal and Machado. But in the co-main, I want to talk about this real quick. Angel Acosta of Puerto Rico scores a KO. Actually, I got this backwards. Eloin Soto. Oh, hold on. I got the uh, nationalities backwards. Uh, Acosta, KO 12. Eloin Soto claims the WBO junior uh, flyweight title. Acosta was down in the third, dropped, or hurt, actually not dropped in the 12th, but hurt bad from a counter left hook that had him staggering backward. Referee Tom Taylor jumps in, stops the fight, right? At that time, he was ahead in the fight. He had done the more consistent, better work throughout as far as being more active, landing more punches. But I don't know about you guys. I saw all throughout this fight, the guy landing the harder punches that did more damage seemed to be Acosta. And it just, he seemed to move Soto, when he landed shots, he moved them, right? And, and Soto's face got a little beat up. And for all the punches he landed on Acosta, Acosta's face looked pretty good. How Saying all that, I can see why Soto got so hurt late in the fight. I also noticed his head was like a Pez dispenser. It was just upright. Guys, what do I, what do I always talk about? The clock, right? I talk about, you know, and you guys who are listening later on the podcast, just imagine a clock in front of your face. You're looking at a round clock. You've got three o'clock, you've got nine o'clock, you've got six o'clock, you've got 12 o'clock. First thing a good coach would teach you when you're a kid before he ever lets you hit anything, you're gonna do shadow boxing in a mirror and you're gonna move your head to three o'clock, to six o'clock, to nine o'clock. You never want your head at 12 o'clock. Well, Soto, for all the good work he did, his head stayed right at 12 o'clock. So what did Acosta do? He shelled up. If you're, if you're going to keep your head at 12 o'clock, at least shell up. And that's what he did. And he swung with a counter left hook that just wrecked Soto for a second. His legs went out. But having said all that, if you referee Tom Taylor, jump over there, count it as a knockdown. If you feel that he's hurt, give him a standing eight, whatever. But you got to understand it's late in the 12th round. This is a competitive fight, but Soto was winning. You got a guy who's winning the damn fight. You have to be aware of what's going on in the fight. Now, I understand you have to assess the fighters in that instant. And maybe he saw something that didn't look good to him. But man, to me, it looked like they should have let Soto continue a little further. And it's look, it's a touchy thing. There's a lot of gray area. We saw some fights this weekend stop too early. We saw one that I'll talk about in a second stopped way too late. And that could be a fine line between somebody getting you know, irrevocably hurt to where their career and maybe even their life are damaged. Am I getting the fighters mixed up, guys? My notes are all over the place here. You guys know what I'm talking about. But, um, okay, yeah, I do have it mixed up. Well, that's great. I've just mixed up the names for the last uh, however long here. But you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, at the end of the fight, I, I just felt that I missed the standing A count. It is up to 
a referee's discretion with that stuff. I know they took it away technically, officially. The standing eight count is no more. But um, man, assess the situation. Look at the fighters. See what you got right there and make a decision based upon all the information. Give the guy a chance to continue. See if he can uh, uh, carry forward. I just, I thought that stoppage sucked. And I think it robbed uh, potentially fans of a great finish. But also more than that, you robbed a fighter of the chance to, to push forward and maybe prove something here. So yes, I got the names mixed up. I'm, I'm, I apologize, guys. Acosta was winning the fight. Uh, the, the Puerto Rican fighter is Acosta. I apologize for that. He was winning the fight. And um, I just thought that he should have been given the chance to continue. Southern California, Mexican-American crowd. Tom Taylor jumps in there. The second the Mexican lands a big left hook. I'm not saying that's why he did it. But for the conspiracy theorists out there, Tom Taylor just hooked him up. So that's how that fight went down. Now, look, there was absolutely no doubt in the rematch between Concio and Machado. I, I got to admit, you guys, last week, I, I said Alberto Machado had a real good chance to turn the tide here and beat Andrew Concio in the rematch. Uh, I thought he could just get smart, box behind his jab, be intelligent, avoid the big shots to the body, avoid the big counter hooks, and he could win this fight just boxing. I know he had a more focused camp, a complete camp. He made weight easier this time. Well, guess what? None of that shit mattered. Machado cannot handle... Oh, you know what? Before I get into this, Gail, who was there, Gail Falkenfeld has a comment here. She says, Tom Taylor claims he saw Acosta's eyes roll back. He dropped his hands and was defenseless and says this is why he stopped the fight. Okay, well... That is what it is. I will say this much, Gail, before I get back to the main event real quick. You know, I've seen it in sparring a thousand times where a guy, it looks like a guy's about to be knocked out completely uh, just senseless. Eyes fall back, looks, and then half a second later, he snaps back into it. I remember there was an instance in one of the fights between Gotti and Ward, where Mickey Ward talked about this, where Gotti hit Ward and Ward was pretty much knocked out on his feet. He hit him a second time and it woke Ward back up. So like, I just feel that, man, standing eight count. Give, count it as a knockdown. Give, give him a 10 count, right? And just see how he feels and see if he can continue. Gail follows up with another comment. I'll buy that if it's earlier in the round, but sheesh, 23 seconds. And he's the champion. I said let him finish. Agree with you 100%. Yeah, Gail, that's, that's pretty much how I see it. I just think that you have to have a little more awareness as a ref as to where you're at. Now, look, if that happened in the first round, different story. 12th round, I mean, it's not like he took a beating. I don't know. I just think that he should have been given a chance to continue just a little bit longer. But anyway, back to the main event. Conciao, cut over the left eye in the first round, cut over the right eye in the second round. And that was a bad cut from uh, headbutts, right? Drops Machado in the third round. When he got cut, when Concio got cut over the right eye from that headbutt, it's like he woke up. He took it to another gear. And some guys, when they get cut, they freak out a little bit. They pull back. They take a round or two to kind of get their bearings, right? But not Cancio. He said, screw this, man. I'm going full steam ahead. And Machado, again, I'll say it, does not respond well to pressure. The blueprint for how to beat him is out, and it has to deal with pressure. 
You pressure this guy, you get in his face, you push him backward, he doesn't respond well. So a left hook to the body in a third drops him for the count, and that was that. For Machado, I said on Twitter immediately, I'm like, man, this guy needs to move up to lightweight. Is that really going to help him? Against certain styles, he will do very, very well at lightweight. Against certain styles. But against a pressure fighter who comes forward, who works the body, who has a chin, who could get under his punches, he's going to have trouble, man. As far as Kansiao, look, he proved he's a, he's a player. He's absolutely a player at 130 pounds. We're likely to eventually see a rematch between him and Joseph Diaz. That's not going to happen next, though. He's probably going to fight Rene Alvarado, who is his mandatory. Alvarado always makes for fun fights. He's, he's hung tough with some up-and-coming guys. He's uh, upset the apple cart a few times. So I think that'll be a fun event. And Concial's earned it. He's earned that sort of thing. Plus, it's his mandatory. So that will be a fun fight for him. That no doubt will be there. Probably, probably right back in Indio, California, or in that SoCal area, greater Los Angeles area. And then next year, Early next year, it's probably going to be him and Joseph Diaz Jr. again. They fought September of 2016 at 126, and Diaz scored a TKO 9 win. Okay, uh, so that was Friday. No real big fight Saturday, but Sunday, June 23rd, we had Sunday night boxing on PBC on Fox. And in the co-main, Guillermo Rigondeaux scores a TKO 8 win a come-from-behind win, actually, not just on my card, but the official judges' cards. More on that in a second. Against Julio Ceja, who had come into this fight losing two of his last four, but was a tough operator. Somehow, this was a WBC junior featherweight eliminator. And you guys heard me talk about this last week. I mean, Rigadia lost to Lomachenko December 2017. Didn't fight at all in 2018. Signs with PBC this year. Beats a journeyman. Barely gets through Ceja. And now... He's going to fight for the 122 title in his next fight. It's good to be with Uncle Al when you're doing business with the WBC. So at the time of the stoppage, Seha was ahead by the scores of 68-65 twice and 67-66. Those are good scores. So I get to this stoppage here. In the eighth round, Rigondeaux lands a beautiful overhand left. Picture perfect shot. It wasn't straight. It was overhand. And it was smart to do it that way because of the, the angle Seha was giving him. So um, Seha clearly hurt. He's on his ass, right? Definitely hurt. Referee Russell Mora jumps in, stops it. There was a second left at the, the official time of the stoppage. One second left in the eighth round. One second left. And again, if you're referee Russell Mora, you have to assess the situation and I understand it's a split-second decision, but you have to be alert at all times. If you're alert and in the back of your mind you're thinking, okay, it's the eighth round. Where are we at in the eighth round? Look up. Okay, we got about 10 seconds left in this round. Okay, uh, how are we doing here? Is this a competitive fight or a one-sided domination? Are both guys landing or is one guy getting his ass handed to him? Right? If you're aware of what's going on, it, most people... Most people, if they were in Russell Moore's situation there, would understand this is a damn competitive fight. Whoever you got winning, a referee shouldn't be scoring a fight in your head, but they should be aware of what they're seeing is competitive. And Seha was ahead. He had landed more power punches. Both guys are doing good work. Rigadia was starting to take it to another gear in the round or two before the stoppage, but it was competitive. Again, Moore should have gave Seha 
time to recover. If he beat the count, let him continue. There was no reason to stop the damn fight. When Seha dropped, he dropped to his butt. It's not like his head slammed against the canvas or anything, which we see often. And when that happens, generally speaking, as a ref, you're stopping the fight. That wasn't the case here. So I just thought there was a premature stoppage. Then we go to the main event where referee Jay Nady <laughs> could be charged for manslaughter almost against, against Jorge Cota. I thought that he should have stopped this fight or should have at least taken a little more time to work with Cota to see where he was before letting the action continue. So let me ch- talk about this. Uh, Jermel Charlo, coming off his loss to Tony Harrison last December, scores a KO3 win over Mexican Jorge Cota, who is coming off a loss himself. Uh, Tony Harrison, they were going to do a rematch with him. He pulled out due to injury. He was there in the audience. Cota steps in. Uh, this looked like, on paper, it was going to be a one-sided beatdown, and that's exactly what it was. Three rounds in, uh, beautiful. Uh, man, I can't remember the first shot that dropped uh, that dropped um, Kota. You guys have to remind me. Was it a left hook or was it a, a one-two? I can't remember. But anyway, Charlo drops him. He gets up, drops him again immediately after. So let's talk about the first knockdown. So it was overhand right, Jack Alter says. Okay, so Charlo got it done with the right. Um, Kota gets up. About a minute left in the round. One-sided beatdown. We're seeing, like, Kota didn't win a second of the first two rounds. Charlo dominated those first two rounds. Was landing, it was target practice, right? So then Kota gets up, wobbling, using the ropes to hold himself up. Looked really bad. Was not making eye contact with Jay Nady. Jay Nady says, he gave him a couple demands, like come to me, walk toward me, whatever. Coda did not respond from what I could tell. He was kind of laying back, leaning on the ropes. Let's him continue. As soon as Jay Needy steps away, boom, in walks Charlo, drops a one-two, the, the, the right hand goes straight down the pipe, boom, down goes Coda. His head slammed the back of the mat that time. That's it. We didn't need to see that second knockdown. Was there ever a doubt from what you saw in the first two rounds, who is going to win this fight? I mean, we know who's going to win before the first bell even rang. But I'm saying if you're the ref and you're in there, why let that shit continue? It was unnecessary. At least take three more seconds to work with Coda. Say, hey, you better come forward. Clearly explain it to him. English is his second language. Say it in Spanish. Make it very clear to him. I will stop the damn fight. Come to me. Motion with your hands. Get in his face. It just, it didn't look good from Jay Nady, who was notorious for stopping fights too early years back. And maybe he heard the critics, but you can't take all that past stuff with you. You have to, you know, judge every fight is its own thing. So I just thought that two mishandlings by Nevada State Athletic Commission refs. And then we saw Robert Byrd, who just a week ago had the worst performance by a referee in quite some time over in Riga, Latvia, working the, um, the instant replay ringside, sitting right next to Bob Bennett. Literally, Bob Bennett's right here in the ring. Robert Bird's right here. Just a bad look, dude. A really bad look. None of that's illegal or anything like that. But you saw what happened over in Latvia. Bob Bennett, I, I just feel that him and the Nevada Commission folks are delusional. They have no idea how bad they look to people. 
I think they're living back in the 90s before the internet. Maybe they're living in the 70s, but they're living in the pre-internet age and they don't quite understand that now on social media, there's guys like me out there who the second I see something like this, I talk about it. All you guys talk about it with me. We go back and forth. We know what we saw. So back in the day when it was all on newspapers and stuff, it was a little easier to kind of pull that kind of stuff. Now, man, the second something's out there, it's all over the place on social media and everything else. So I don't think the Nevada State Athletic Commission understands the way they come off to people. They're just delusional about that stuff. But um, Hamed's asking if Robert Byrd was on Twitter. That was a fake Robert Byrd, Hamed. I know exactly which account you're talking about. I think that was after the first Kovalev-Ward fight. That account popped up and he was saying, hey, you guys, I'm sorry. I, I really screwed that up. It was a fake account. So no, the Nevada Commission doesn't let any of their people do social media. You will not find them on Twitter. The Nevada Athletic Commission doesn't even have a Twitter. Think about this, guys. The most powerful athletic commission in all of the world, in all of martial arts, doesn't have a Twitter. There's something seriously wrong with that. They know if they had a Twitter, they'd just be getting blasted nonstop, not just by media guys, but by fans. They're like, dude, that's the thing now. There's a good part of social media and there's a bad part, right? If you're screwing up, you're not allowed to be a fuck up anymore. You're not allowed to be a screw up. You're going to be called out. It's like um, if if you own your own business, let's say you're a landscaper and you suck. The word's going to get out really quickly. There are all these apps and all this stuff on the internet and people talk, man. And if you have a Twitter account or a Facebook account or even a, a website, a Yelp. People are going to talk about you if your business sucks. You're not allowed to suck anymore. That's the good part for consumers when it comes to social media. That's why Nevada, the commission, doesn't have a Twitter, doesn't have a Facebook, because they want to keep sucking. And if they had one, they wouldn't be allowed to suck anymore. All right. So that is it with the uh, review. Let's see here. Let's see what you guys got for questions. You guys are just chatting amongst each other here in the uh, the YouTube chat. So uh, I'm going to let you guys continue, and I'm just going to get into the preview of what we got coming up this week. So uh, Friday, June 28th, we have cards from London and Milano, uh, Milan, Italy, featured on DAZN. And we also have a card from Las Vegas, featured on Mayweather Promotions' Facebook page. So that's what we got Friday. But then the big card Friday is from the Pachanga Resort in Temecula, California. Top rank on ESPN. Richard Comey defending his lightweight title, his IBF lightweight title, for the first time against Ray Beltran, who is an old but dangerous 38 years old. Remember, Comey coming off an injury. Beltran has a hard head. Comey coming off, was it an arm injury, hand injury? So, um... Yeah, it could be an interesting challenge. But obviously, I like Komei, and I like him big in that fight. Also, we got some prospects on this card. Uh, 17-0, Dominican Republic native, now lives in New York. Carlos Adames going up against fellow New Yorker Patrick Day, 10 rounds, junior middleweights. We've also got, uh, let's see, Saul Rodriguez, 23-0-1 out of Riverside, California, Going up against Miguel Angel Gonzalez out of Mexico. 10 rounds, junior lightweights. And then heavyweight action, junior Fa, 17-0, 6'5", out of New Zealand. Going up against 
Dominic Gwynn, who is still fighting at 44. Dominic Gwynn, do you remember him? That dude is still fighting. I looked on his record and I'm thinking, man, is he making a comeback after like a few years out? No, he fought earlier this year. That dude is still fighting. Now, the thing about Dominic Gwynn, 12 L's, 12 losses, never been stopped. Jack Alter's asking, who's Dominic Gwynn? Jack, he's before your time, brother. <laughs> You're too young to know Dominic Gwynn. He's been fighting, man, he might, he might have started fighting professionally in the 90s. He's been around for a long time. I uh, was once kind of seen as an interesting American heavyweight prospect. Now he's just used as cannon fodder. He was at one point like a gatekeeper that you could, if someone was a real prospect to look at, um, they should blow through Dominic Gwynn. Now, Dominic Gwynn is a guy that, I mean, Junior Fa, they're using him to build up Junior Fa's record. Holy shit. Hopefully, Junior Fa just knocks him out in the first round or two because the guy, Kevin Frey, pretty good left hook though. Yeah, and he knows how to survive. Knows how to survive. But those guys like Dominic Gwynn who take punch after punch after punch for decades and don't get stopped, those are the guys that end up the most damaged sometimes. And uh, yeah, I just, this is a 10-round heavyweight fight. I don't like it. Saturday, June 29th, speaking of guys who shouldn't be fighting, I saw on the, on the schedule, Chad Dawson is fighting at Foxwoods against Quinton Rankin, a fighter I know out of Charlotte, North Carolina. It's an eight-rounder. Uh, Chad Dawson has lost four of his last seven going back to 2012. This is his first fight since 2017. Who knows if this comes off or not, but it's officially on the schedule right now. Why the hell is he doing this? Why the hell would you do this? Yeah, Chad Dawson, guys, uh, for some reason has an eight-round fight at Foxwoods Casino. Anyway, the uh, Houston NRG Arena, and it's not energy, the word, it's literally the letters NRG Arena in Houston, PBC on Showtime. Jamal Charlo, the middleweight, going up against Brandon Adams, the second defense of his WBC interim title, his fourth fight at 160 pounds. So let's talk about Charlo for a second here because everyone says that he's being ducked and avoided. And, oh my God. Okay. He had one fight in 2017. And that's when he moved up officially to middleweight. He had two fights in 2018. The last fight against Matt Vey Korobov. A lot of people felt like he lost. This is his first fight of 2019. And here we are in late June. He's fighting the guy, Brandon Adams, who won the contender last year. He won the, the series finale last season. This guy was trashed as a possible opponent for Gennady Golovkin when he was coming back. Remember? They were talking about it real briefly. Maybe Golovkin fights Carlos Adamas. Or I'm sorry, not Carlos Adamas. I'm all over the place. Fighting um, Brandon Adams. And I remember Twitter went nuts. He went nuts. Or Twitter went crazy. But then Golovkin went on and fought Rolls, who was maybe worse than Adams, as it turned out. But we won't know. Uh, probably on the same level, to be honest. Jamal Charles is going to fight him now. All those people who were talking shit. They don't seem to care. They don't seem to give a shit. So all those people who are outraged, they're cool with Charlo fighting them. Anyway, uh, that just seems to be the way it works. Charlo should look pretty good against Brandon Adams. Also on this card, Erickson Lubin fighting a French journeyman. Somehow, this is a WBC junior middleweight eliminator. If he ends up winning this, 
in fighting the WBC champion. He's going to get marked. They're trying to rebuild Erickson Lubin after getting decapitated by Charlo, uh, putting him in against just French, this is a French journeyman. For all I know, this guy, you know, makes baguettes nine to five in boxes occasionally on the weekend. I don't know. But uh, somehow this is a junior middleweight title eliminator for the WBC. Again, it's good to be in the PBC if you want to do business with the WBC as a fighter. But uh, that's, I mean, long term, that's not going to look good for Erickson Lubin. Eduardo Ramirez, a Mexican fighter going up against Claudio Marrero, Dominican fighter in a 12-round WBA featherweight eliminator also on this card. And then out of Providence, Rhode Island at the Dunkin' Donuts Center on the zone. Ooh, man, Dunkin' Donuts is good. I haven't had Dunkin' Donuts in a while. Demetrius Andre going up against Macy Sulecki. Second defense of Andre's WBO middleweight title. And his fourth fight at 160. Let's talk a little bit about Andre. Because now, some of the cult of Rigondeaux people that disappeared after he got Lomachenko'd, a couple of them might bubble up now because he got this big win over Seha. This weekend, but most of them have converted to the cult of Andre. And now Andre is the guy everyone says is being ducked. He's the most talented middleweight in the world. He deserves this, he deserves that. He moved up to middleweight at the end of 2016. All right. So it's been going on three years, basically about three years since he's been a middleweight. This will be his fourth fight at middleweight and by far his best opponent. Now, in his defense, Andre's defense, he was scheduled to fight Billy Joe Saunders. Saunders popped for PEDs. That's not on Andre. However, you've been in this division for three years. This is your fourth fight, dude. Suleki's a top 10 guy. He's a legit, the first top 10 middleweight that Andre's going to fight. He shouldn't have a middleweight title. That's completely ridiculous. But, dude, all the people that are riding Andre's... I'll just say he's riding his dick right now and saying that the guy's being disrespected. He used to make a statement against Sulecki. Sulecki went 12 hard rounds with Daniel Jacobs in 2018. Competitive fight, but clearly lost. Decisively, clearly, definitively lost to Jacobs, but was competitive. But in his last fight with Gabriel Rosado, he was dropped not once, not twice, and that was in March. So I think some of the wear and tear Sulecki has taken is starting to wear him down just a little bit. And I think style-wise, Andre is all wrong for Sulecki. He's going to chop this Polish guy up. He should. If Andre wants to make a statement, he should go in there and finish with Gabe Rosado. Started at the very end of their fight, which Sulecki clearly won. He also dropped Rosado and chopped him up, to be fair. But Andre, just style-wise should be able to stay at range, switch hit when he wants, pick off everything Sulecki does when he tries to come in. And if he wants to make a statement, he's got to get Sulecki out of there by the middle rounds. Anything short of that really doesn't do anything but maintain status quo for Andre, which is lowest possible risk with a minimal reward and then cry racism, cry whatever while you're not getting your chance. They're all ducking me, blah, blah, blah. Michael Stott says Sulecki will win by KO. If that happens, that is a major upset in my opinion. I, wow, a couple of you guys. Joe Blow is saying Sulecki will piece up due to... Oh man, I don't know about that. I, guys, I like Andre big in this fight. I just, I do. But hey man, I've had a couple wrong lately. 
Jack Alter's asking, major upset? Um, okay, maybe not major, but it will definitely be a mild upset. I favor Andre in this, and I think the betting he's the betting favorite. The odds makers have him ahead. He should be. He should win. Hamed says Andre points decision. Hamed, that's the way I see it, but I actually think he should get Suleki out of there. And I, I actually like Andre maybe by late TKO, but if he wants to make a statement... He needs to sit down his shots and get Suleki out of there by the middle rounds. Hamed says styles make fights. I agree. I absolutely agree. But man, you look at these guys' styles. He had, you know, Suleki had moments against Daniel Jacobs, but Andre is faster than Jacobs. He's longer. He's taller. Um, just a little more twitchy than Jacobs. Jacobs might hit harder than Andre, but I, I just think Southpaw says late stoppage for a Andre. That's the way I see it, too. I'd just like to see Demetrius Andre make a statement in the ring. He makes so many statements on Twitter, on social media. And, you know, all these. there's always these excuses why he can't get a fair shot. Dude, go in there and do something impressive. Do what Daniel Jacobs couldn't do. Do what Gabe Rosado couldn't do. Gabe Rosado, again, dropped this guy twice late in their last fight. So let's see. Let's see you do something that he couldn't do. Drop him early. Drop him a second time early. Get him out of there early. Make a statement. He's already been softened up by Jacobs and Rosado to a certain degree. So Boo Boo needs to do more than doo-doo in this fight. All right, also on this card, pretty interesting heavyweight fight in my opinion. Joseph Parker versus Alex Leopold. Uh, Both guys from the same part of the world. Both uh, big, strong guys. I do think Parker is underrated by some people. Is his heart still in this? That I don't know. He made a lot of money in a couple of fights. You know, lost his title to Anthony Joshua, but he made his last couple of fights, his last few fights, he's made good money. And I think that now, um, you know, I just don't know if his hearts are in it. He's sleeping on silk sheets. Yeah, Canada Chris says this could be a clinch fest fight. You might be right. This has the chance to be really, really bad or possibly pretty damn good. I hope it turns out to be pretty damn good. It's the first fight in 2019 for both men. Generally speaking, that's a bad sign because activity, you need activity to be sharp. But I just think, again, both of these guys coming from the same region of the world, pride might come on the line, and hopefully that brings out something in them and we see a bit of a slugfest. I think that would be awesome. Maybe I'm being too uh, positive here and not being realistic, but... I don't know. Southpaw says Parker might have just lost his desire. I agree. We will know in this fight, in this fight, if he doesn't go hard at Leopold and try to get him out of there, that desire is gone, man. And he's just done as, a, as a, any kind of contender. Also on this card, Khalid Yafai, 25-0, defending his uh, WBA super flyweight title for the fifth time against Dominican fighter Norberto Jimenez who is 29-8-4. I have no idea what the hell he's doing in a title fight, but there you have it, folks. Uh, that's the WBA. It's how they do business. So that is it for uh, the preview this weekend. Let's go back to the chat here. Let me see. Guys, um, if I missed any questions that you wanted to get at me, drop them in again real super quick here, and I will get to them before we jump off. Brad DW 54 can anyone at 135 and down beat Loma? Right now, I'm going to say no. The only one who has a chance is Teofimo Lopez, who, by the way, is working with a strength and conditioning coach now, a nutritionist. 
they are going to have an easier time making 135 now, they're saying. So, hey, maybe if he gets through his next fight, uh, the fight with Lomachenko is supposed to happen around the Super Bowl early next year. That's going to be pretty damn good. T11 says, Mike, don't know if you watched the Sunday Fox card. I thought it was the worst sports broadcast I'd ever heard. If you're a Fox executive, how can you be okay with it? Goosen and Lennox were bickering nonstop. You know, I don't like to bash commentators too much. It is a hard job, but I will say this. There were several things on that broadcast that those commentators just glanced over. By the way, I do think Goosen carries the broadcast. Steve Kim said that on Twitter, and I fully agree with him. Goosen's the best part they have on that commentary crew. I like Lennox Lewis as a guy. He's a super nice guy. He was an awesome fighter. Just not that good behind the mic. Just isn't. Kind of like Sugar Ray Leonard to a degree, where there's just not a lot of insight. It's this high-level fluff that he gives you. Oh, this guy's got a lot of heart. Oh, he did it with the right hand. Give us more than that. But I talked about all the situations with the ref. I talked about the situation with Robert Byrd. All that other stuff going on, you had uh, what uh, Spencer, the prospect that they had as kind of a uh, filler fight. I can't remember. Is it Joey Spencer? I can't remember his first name. Who was named the PBC Prospect of the Year, which is a crock of shit. And they didn't go into that uh, enough. Hamed says, I thought Spencer lost. Nah, Hamed, I thought Spencer clearly won. But um, he just, he's not the prospect for anyone. He, I thought he clearly won that fight. But uh, I think the judges may have had it a little too wide, but he clearly won. But there's so many things going on with all those fights and some of the extras and the particulars that the, the commentators just did not comment on. And I'm like, dude, you're there to go further than just blow by blow. You're there to talk about some of the nuances involved and some of the, as I call it, the business behind the business and give the fans uh, a little more to think about. And they just didn't provide that to me. It's this high level fluffy bullshit. They're not diving deep into it. They're not digging in. And we see a little bit more of that on Showtime. We see the ESPN guys are getting better at it. They need to do a lot of work, but they're getting better at it. But uh, man, the, uh, the, the Fox team, whew, rough, man. They just dig in a little bit. So I'll say that about them. Uh, let's see. John Uden asks, oh, did I lose your question? Shit. Let me see. This chat is flying by. You guys are just chatting away here. Yeah, John, I'm sorry, man. I think I lost your question. <laughs> sorry about that. Ask it again, man. Uh, Brad DW54 asks, so you like Tiafimo over Comey? Yeah, and, and here's why. Comey is more proven. Comey and Tiafimo, um, I can understand why a lot of you guys would favor Comey. I'm just strictly going off the eye test. And there's, there's no science to that. Just going off the eye test. I think Tiafimo would win. So, yeah, take it for what it is. T11 says, I can't believe that is the team calling Thurman Pacquiao. Really disappointed. Yeah, you guys are going to have to pay 80 bucks for that shit to listen to those guys not tell you anything. Look, just just a little bit I went into about drug testing up front. And for those of you who are just getting on now, replay the beginning of this after it's uploaded and listen to my rant a little bit about the drug testing situation with Pacquiao Thurman. Just that. The commentary crew, especially if you're doing a pay-per-view 
You should go into some things like that. You should dig in. You should do a little bit of investigative reporting and journalism and explain some of these things to the casual fan because that's who they're trying to market to over there. They're also, PBC clearly is trying to market to, what is it, Generation Z, I think they call it, the one under millennials. Those of you who are like 20 years old right now and just now getting into the sport, that's who they're trying to market to. Well, you got to explain some of this shit, give some historical background, some perspectives, some numbers, some facts and data, and they're not going to give you that shit. You're going to pay 80 bucks to hear fluff. Okay, a few of you guys have asked about the Pauli Malignaggi bare knuckle boxing thing. Look, I didn't watch it. I have no interest in watching it. I really could give a shit. The one thing that I really, it really disappoints me about it is that Pauli, I just, I saw a bunch of, Twitter tweets and stuff like this from MMA fighters, actual MMA fighters saying, see, this proves that we're better because an MMA fighter beat a boxer. Well, let Vasily Lomachenko go in there and do bare knuckle boxing. Let Deontay Wilder go in there with your heavyweight champion doing bare knuckle boxing and see how that turns out for you. Okay, it's just, it's absolute bullshit when the completely shot James Tony gets beaten MMA and that's used to, to bash boxers. And now Pauline Malignaggi does this bare knuckle boxing thing. Also, I'll say this. The notion that in boxing, the big gloves um, lessen the blow and all this kind of stuff. And MMA fighters are tougher because their gloves are smaller. This bare knuckle boxing shit completely shows you that that's all a crock of shit. Pauline Malignaggi couldn't punch through a wet paper bag as a professional boxer. And he was saying, oh, with the gloves off, I'm going to drill this dude. I'm going to knock him out, right? What happened? I don't, did, did the guy even have a scratch on him? Paulie was still feather-fisted without gloves. The gloves don't make you a powerful puncher. Ask Dominic Brazil if Deontay Wilder needs no gloves or not to have a hard punch. I just, I hate arguments like that because it's a lazy argument and it's, it's com- it comes from people who have no idea what the fuck they're talking about. It just, I hate those arguments. All right, let's see. What else do we have here? Yair Herrera asks, any news about Usyk and when he might fight at heavyweight? Uh, probably going to be October. Probably going to be October. I know they said September. I'm thinking it's going to be October when he fights. Damn it. I think uh, I lost you guys here again. Frank Williams, how do you predict the welterweight division play out over the next 365 days? So um, you're going to pay a lot of money on pay-per-view to watch Keith Thurman win a fairly safe, um, there's going to be some action, but not too action-packed decision over Manny Pacquiao. One judge will make it a draw so that some of Pacquiao's wacky fans can say, yeah, we really won, and you're going to see a bunch of selectively edited videos just playing the punches landed to make it look like Pacquiao won, blah, blah, blah. We're going to see that story again. Thurman wins a decision. You're going to see Spence win a decision over Sean Porter. And then next spring, hopefully, we're going to get Spence and Thurman fighting each other on pay-per-view. I think that's what's going to happen. Jack Alter asks, who would win between Jermel if he moved up to 160 to fight Triple G? That's easy. Triple G. Jack, you got to ask questions about fighters not named Gennady Golovkin. You only ask questions about Triple G, bro. Come on. There's a lot of other fighters. Oh, you got, I'm, I'll ask you guys this because I didn't know. Because, again, I didn't watch the fight. 
apparently it went to a decision. Pauli Malignaggi lost to the MMA dude. Was it a legit decision or was it bullshit? Those of you who watched it, I'm kind of curious. Cody804 says, Michael, I keep telling you that most MMA fighters are at least journeyman level boxers. Artem Malignaggi proves it. I, I guess Artem is the name of the guy he fought. Is Artem a good MMA fighter or is he a journeyman level fighter? Um, I don't know. Look, some MMA guys are decent boxers. They're decent, but you take a journeyman boxer or journeyman MMA guy and have them fight on their feet. Journeyman boxer is going to win nine out of 10 times. I, I listened to Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan recently was on Jordan Peterson's podcast. Uh, for those of you who don't know who Jordan Peterson is, particularly those of you who are, I'd say, 25 and younger, you should start listening to Jordan Peterson's podcast. I love what he's doing. I don't agree with everything he says, obviously, but I like a lot of his stuff. Anyway, Joe Rogan was on there. They had like a three-hour-long conversation. And Jordan was asking about Joe Rogan's um, past in, in fight sports and everything like that. And they got into a discussion. Azier says Joe Rogan is a casual. Yes, Azier, he is a casual boxing fan, but he actually was a kickboxer. He did do sports, a fight sports. So I agree. Um, you know, when he talks about it, I listen. Does he know shit about boxing? Not really. But when he talks about other sports, the MMA stuff, I listen to him. He does know his shit when it comes to that. He came up in that world. And he does the commentary and stuff for them. Anyway, um, they got into, well, what's, what's more applicable in a street fight, this and this? And I think Jordan Peterson asked him, is Kung Fu and all this shit applicable in a street fight? And Jordan Peterson goes, hell no. No way. And they were like, well, what, what works in a street fight? And Joe Rogan said, you know, a lot of guys used to think that if you were a wrestler, you had the advantage because you could take the other dude down. But studies have shown, he said like studies have shown or something like that. Um, that uh, the guy with the best hands is going to have the advantage early on in any fight because 99.9% of fights start on your feet and start with your hands. So whether a boxer would have an advantage, but also I think, what is it guys, uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Muay Thai where they do a lot of grappling with their hands where they grab dudes and they kind of maul with their hands and stuff like that. Those guys would have an advantage too. It starts with hands. If your hands suck, it goes to legs and all that stuff. If you suck there, it's going to the ground. When I see uh, two guys fighting the street, some of it's cultural. You know, when I see two Anglo guys, it usually winds up with wrestling. When I see a couple of black guys fighting or a couple of uh, mestizo, you know, Mexicanos fighting or whatever, a couple of paisans fighting, they're fighting with their hands. That's what I've seen growing up. So, you know, look, we can go back and forth about the UFC versus boxing stuff, whatever. Guys, both sports can exist. Fans of both can be happy. I'm just sick of the comparison or people using a washed up boxer like Paul Malignaggi as a benchmark to rate boxers in a fight against an MMA fighter. It's stupid. It's every bit as stupid as some boxing fans hooping and hollering when um, Holly Holm beat Ronda Rousey as if that was some big win for boxing. It's ridiculous. It was no big win for boxing. All it was was exposing what a fraud and a hype job to a certain degree Ronda Rousey was. She was a good wrestler. That was it. 
That's what judo is, by the way. It's just wrestling. All martial arts break down to one or two or three of the following. Boxing, kickboxing, wrestling. You could use all kinds of... Cody's saying Holly Holm won by the head kick. Yes, but Cody, I actually watched that fight and she used boxing, particularly footwork, spacing, and angles to soften Rousey up before that head kick. Her boxing and her ability to fight on her feet is what won her the fight against Ronda Rousey. Same thing with the Amanda Nunez chick who beat Rousey again. That was all on their, their feet. So you know what I'm talking about, Cody. Don't be dumb here. You maybe lose my damn train of thought, but I don't give a shit about what special, crazy, exotic-sounding words and names you want to call this shit? It's all some sort of form or derivative of boxing, kickboxing, or wrestling. Those are the three most primal, basic martial arts. There are cave paintings of our early ancestors kicking each other, punching each other, and wrestling with each other, okay? You can throw all these Muay Thai, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, all these funky names that sound exotic and cool, and Kung Fu... A lot of that shit's fucking hocus pocus. You got soccer moms taking their 10-year-old kid, Wally, to their safe suburban gym to learn kung fu. Okay, cool. Drop Wally off downtown and see how he does being a badass when some dude tries to take his wallet. Let's see how that kung fu class, that Muay Thai class, that Krav Maga class helps him out in that situation. A lot of people are being lied to and they're getting their money taken. That's another thing I like about Joe Rogan. He posts uh, bad what does he call it? Bad martial arts or something clips on his social media. Some of those things are hilarious. The rock stars asking, Wally, I don't know, Wally, Walt. I guess kids aren't named that anymore. <laughs> I just recently watched, what's the movie with uh, uh, Gran Torino with uh, Clint Eastwood and his name's Wally in that movie, Walt. So uh, that, that's what made that pop in my head, man. Uh, Michael Stott says, I got a buddy named Wally that teaches MMA. Boom! Here we go. It comes full circle. You see that, baby? Okay, guys. Maybe one more question here, and then I'm going to drop off. So we'll get it in, guys. The next person. All right, Southpaw. Have you seen the Teddy Atlas podcast, The Fight? No, I have not. Not yet. I'll check it out. There's 10 billion podcasts right now in boxing. 90% of them suck. But I tell you, I got a little pick-me-up today when I read Doug Fisher's Monday mailbag. Um, I wasn't able to get to it uh, immediately, but later in the day I got to it. And it's one of the best reads in all of boxing. And somebody asked Doug Fisher which podcast he watches. And he said the same thing. You know, uh, there's too many of them. Most of them suck, whatever. But he said, I'll tell you which ones I've watched in the last few days. And he named the three knockdown rule. And then the second one after they named this podcast right here. So look, man, if the great Doug Fisher is listening in, I think I'm doing something right. So guys, uh, thank you very, very much for watching and hanging out with me. We've been going here for about an hour. I'm going to drop off. Uh, Remember, smash that damn like button. You guys, not enough of you are smashing that like button. All right? Don't make me pull a Tom Taylor. Now look, I I didn't stop the podcast early. So you guys need to go ahead and Charlo the like button. All right? Concial the like button to the body. Hook me up. Also, iHeartRadio. Remember that for me, okay? iHeartRadio because we are on there now. All right, guys? I'll see you at the fights.